This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. You know, when Pastor Brian approached me about coming on staff here at ABC, he assured me that I wouldn't be required to fulfill the pulpit. He's, you know, he worked with me at another church and he knew very well my strengths, but he also knew the things that I wasn't as good at. And besides, he already had two very capable preachers here on staff in the rotation, except one of them has gone now to plant a church. And so I'm pretty sure that it was desperation that Pastor Brian called me up from fourth string bench to, uh, to preach today. Well, so thank you in advance for your grace as we look at the topic of worship. Worship's a really broad topic, and there's a lot of things that can be said about it, but I'm just going to address three questions. One, what is worship? Two, what is the kind of worshiper that God seeks? And three, how do we become the kind of worshiper that God seeks? We're going to spend most of our time on the third question, but first we'll address the first two quickly. So what is worship? There are many definitions, but simply put, worship is attributing great worth or honor to someone or something. We're all worshipers. We all attribute great worth or honor to someone or something. We were created that way. Uh, It's in the very nature of our being. The question is, of course, who or what do we worship? What is it that you worship? What is it that you value the most? What do you attribute great worth and honor to? What would people who know you say what you worship? I would like to submit that whatever consumes our thoughts and our affections is what we effectively or functionally worship. Tim Keller writes, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there's nothing else demanding your attention. What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Well, the answer to this is an indicator of what or who we worship. Keller would say that this is the God of our hearts. So according to this definition, we ask ourselves, what is the object of my worship? Is it God or could it be something else? Could it be work? Could it be reputation? Could it be achievement? Could it be our family? Could it be entertainment? Are you the kind of worshiper that God is seeking? Which leads us to the second question. What is the kind of worshiper that God seeks? In Exodus 20, the very first commandment, which sets up all the other commandments, God says to us, you shall have no other gods before me. And then when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, what does he say to him? Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. So what is the kind of worshiper that God seeks? It's the worshiper that elevates God above all else. A worshiper who pursues God as the number one priority of his or her life. Is that the kind of worshiper you are? Is that the kind of worshiper I am? 
we need to be regularly asking ourselves these questions. Is the Lord the object of my affections? Is he the greatest object of my affection? Is he the most important thing in my life? Is he where my thoughts turn effortlessly when there's nothing else demanding my attention? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, we're instructed to worship God alone. He is of highest worth. Bob Coughlin writes, each of us has a battle raging within us over what we love most, God or something else. Whenever we love and serve anything in place of God, we're engaging in idolatry. We love our idols because we think they'll provide the joy that comes from God alone. We think having them will truly satisfy us. And most of us have discovered when we have pursued them, they don't satisfy It's easy to let other things take the important place that God should have in our lives. That is one of the reasons we gather here each week. We're a people that are prone to wander, aren't we? Uh, We're quick to shake our heads at the Israelites' idolatry and their constant disobedience, but we're not all that different, are we? We need to repeatedly stop and remember who God is, what he's done for us, and ensure that he alone is the focus of our worship. Worship is a full life response to God and who he is. It should affect the way we live our lives. So let's move to the third question. How do we become the kind of worshiper that God is seeking? Well, I'm here at church, you might say. Surely God is happy I'm here to worship. Well, yes, we can all attend worship without worshiping. I know I have. Um, I grew up in a home where both of my parents were uh, professing and practicing Christ followers. Uh, We were in a Bible-believing church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And even when we were on vacation, we were in a Bible-believing church. It was important to my parents. I was around the truth. I was singing the truth about our God, but I had not really taken hold of the truth. Scared of the prospect of hell, I asked Jesus into my heart, but my view of God was someone who was out to get me if I disobeyed. Consequently, my personal worship, my devotional time, was more about trying to appease God rather than pursuing someone with whom I wanted to have a relationship with. My corporate worship experiences were more about music than they were about worship or a heartfelt expression of praise. You know, we, you remember hymnals? We used to have those in those days. And uh, I would make it a music exercise by singing the melody on the first verse, singing the tenor part on the second verse, the alto part on the third. You get my point. I rarely internalized what I was singing, though. I was more concerned about making music uh, than I was about aligning my heart with the lyrics to worship our God. This was an issue with the Pharisees, and Jesus called them out on it. He said, well did, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. You see, God is far more interested in our hearts than he is in our religious actions. 
Pharisees thought they were earning points with God and they were trying to impress others, but God, of course, wasn't impressed. You remember the parable in Luke 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then in sharp contrast, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and one who humbles himself will be exalted. First step in becoming the kind of worshiper that God is seeking is to come to him in humility, to recognize our great need for him. We come not to impress him, but to be impressed by him. One of the more familiar passages on worship is in John 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And he says to her, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. This is the way God wants us to worship him today. He's seeking, for, he's seeking for worshipers who will worship him in truth with our intellects, with our knowledge about who he is and what he has done, and in spirit, with our whole hearts, with emotion. Not one, with the out, not one without the other, but both. We need to know the truth about God and pursue the truth about God until it begins to affect and impact our hearts. John Piper writes, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. We are in grave danger of getting blown back and forth when the storms come if we're not anchored in the truth, the truth that we must hold on to, the truth That sets us free. Piper goes on to say, true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. This is the kind of worshiper that God seeks, head and heart, spirit and truth. Well, let's look at spirit and truth. First, truth. How do we become worshipers who uh, worship God in truth? Well, we need to be people who seek to know the truth about God. We can't just make up our own ideas about him. We need to seek the true God through his word, pursue him daily. I call this personal worship. You and God alone, relating back and forth. We need to be reading and studying the Bible, not to build up knowledge for knowledge's sake or so that we can do well in a Bible trivia game, but so we can discover who God is and how he wants us to live in order that we can bring glory to him and lead a joyful, a fulfilling life. God doesn't want mindless obedience to a set of rules. 
He wants to be known. He wants to be enjoyed. The Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him. Do you enjoy God? Do you delight in him? Have you taken the time to know him? He wants you to. And like any relationship, it takes time. Of course, it takes effort. So let's look back again at our definition of worship. Worship is attributing great worth or reverent honor to someone or something. Worship is a verb. It's something we do. It's not passive. It's not something we watch. It's active. So how can we actively worship God in spirit and truth? As just discussed, we can actively pursue God in truth with our intellect. Through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we can come to know God in truth. But it is our spirit within us which must respond to this truth, to this God we have encountered. And how do we do this? Many of us are familiar with the five love languages that Gary Chapman developed. Uh, There are different ways to demonstrate love to others and ways that they can understand it best. The languages are quality time, acts of service, gift-giving, words of affirmation, uh, physical touch. All of these ways are tangible ways of expressing love. And I believe that we can use these same five love languages as tangible ways of expressing love to our God and to worship him. So let's use these same five actions and call them love worship languages. First is quality time. Pursuing God in truth through listening to sermons or studying God's word would can certainly fall into this category. We're turning our attention to and we're making an effort to look at God. And I'm very familiar with this love language because my wife Cindy's love language is quality time. And uh, believe me, when I don't spend quality time with her, our relationship suffers. And that's not a good thing. I need to prioritize my relationship with her by giving her focused attention. And the same is in my relationship with God. The second is acts of service. We can worship God, of course, by serving him. What are some things that you do to serve the people that you love? I bet it's something you would think that will please them. The same is true with God. What pleases God? I'm sure you'll, you'll discover those things as you seek him in his word, but some of the things that come to my mind are sharing the gospel with someone or being patient with a coworker or a classmate that annoys you or providing for your family or helping to carry someone's load or to serve even here in our church. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Are we intentional? Are we purposeful in offering to God acts of service? Are we seeking to bring him glory in our activities? If so, we are worshiping him. The third love language we'll talk about is gift giving. And those of you uh, who have loved ones whose love language is gift giving know that this usually means, but not always, spending money. Do you use your money to give gifts to God? Of course, when we give our tithes and offerings, uh, it's an opportunity for us to worship God with the money he has given us to steward. Uh, Jesus also teaches in the book of Matthew, whatever we do for the least of our brothers and sisters, we do for him. 
Are we regularly finding ways to give God gifts? Do we help the poor? Are we supporting ministries that are dear to his heart? Are we financially helping a brother or sister in need? This is the worship that God is seeking. And the fourth language is words of affirmation. And though I hope all of us respond to God verbally when we see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset or when we experience blessing from him, let's talk about this next worship language in the context of our corporate worship here on Sunday morning. You know, this should be the highlight of our week as we gather to celebrate, a week, uh, celebrate after a week of personal worship, spending time with him, uh, growing in our love for him. We use the word worship language of words of affirmation when we pray and when we sing to God. Let's talk about singing for a minute. Pastor Brian has exhorted us to be what? The singingist. He invented that word. Uh, singingist church in Ozaki County. Not sure how you measure that, but the question is, how are we doing with it? As I said earlier, though, you you can sing without worshiping, just as you can worship without singing. Songs are simply a vehicle that we use to connect with God. But singing helps us to engage the lyrics of the songs emotionally, in spirit. Jonathan Edwards expressed it this way, music helps to excite and express religious affections. Or if you remember what Pastor Brian said a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about singing, he quoted a guy named Yip Harburg who says, words make you think thoughts, music makes you feel a feeling, but a song makes you feel a thought. I had to think about that for a while, so I slowed down a little bit so you can hear it. Is singing the only way to worship God? No. But I believe singing is the best way to worship God together when we gather here on Sunday. We lift up our voices and we attribute great worth and honor to our God and we get to do it together. What if I don't like singing, you may ask? That singing's not my thing? Well, can't we all have our personal uh, preference in how we want to worship? Well, I'd have to say, do you know that God commands us to sing? And you know that he instructs us also to sing together? There's good biblical reason that our pastor wants us to sing. Psalm 149.1 says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Over and over, scripture tells us to sing to God, especially in the Psalms. We can't and we shouldn't pick and choose what we want to obey in the Bible. You say you can't sing? Well, Scripture says, make a joyful noise. Sometimes, you know, when I'm in a congregation in another place, I'll hear someone singing with all of their heart to God, and, and perhaps it doesn't sound very good. But I'm so blessed because they know the object of their worship is God himself, and God is not looking at the outward appearance. He's not listening to the quality of the voice. He is looking at the heart And so when I hear someone like that, I may not want them to sing in the choir, uh, but I love the fact that they're going for it and that they just want to give God all the glory that they can. Of course, it's not just the Psalms that tell us to sing, but in the New Testament as well, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, truth, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, spirit, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, what if I don't feel like singing? Well, I get it sometimes. I don't feel like singing. Sometimes I have to lead the singing, and I don't feel like it. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a stressful morning. Maybe you haven't spent a whole lot of time in pursuing your God during the week. You're discouraged. You could be going through some difficult circumstances. You know that you should be here, but the truth is you're struggling. Well, sometimes you need to push past your present feelings and offer to God a sacrifice of praise, as it talks about in Hebrews 13. Open up your mouth and sing. You might just discover that singing might, the, might be the best way to start feeling like it. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis when he says, Though natural likings should normally be encouraged, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become charitable is to sit trying to manufacture affectionate feelings. The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. I'm not suggesting we fake worshiping here, but I do believe that we can still, we can still begin to worship authentically even if we don't feel like it. It may take a little while for our hearts to catch up, but we can still pursue God in worship. Cindy and I have been married for 38 years, and sometimes Cindy finds herself in a place where she isn't feeling a whole lot of love toward me. I have no idea why. (laughs) Nevertheless, sometimes when she's not happy with me, she sets out to make me an apple pie because she knows I love pie, any pie, and pies take a lot of time and effort to make and bake. There's no store-bought crusts in her kitchen. She really doesn't like doing it, but she tells me as she continues to make the sacrifice of love toward me, her heart begins to soften, and she starts getting those love feelings back. You know, I'm a blessed man when I, who has a dear wife who loves me even when I'm unlovable. As, we, as you live out acts of love toward others, your heart soon begins to follow. The same is true with singing. Singing can bend your soul to God, and when you do, you might just start feeling like it. And who knows? Your sacrificial singing might just be the encouragement that some around you, as they listen, as they hear, as they see you, they need, that they need just to begin opening up their heart. We do really impact one another when we gather together by singing or not singing. Final worship language we talk about is physical touch, and obviously we can't physically touch God, but we can engage our bodies in worship. In fact, many of the words which are translated worship in both the Greek and the Hebrew contain the idea of bodily movement. Scripture gives many different examples of how we can physically express our love and worship to God. We just talked about singing, but other expressions include dancing, shouting, clapping, lifting of hands, kneeling, bowing, standing in awe, playing instruments. If you've never knelt before God or lifted your hands in worship and to surrender to God, I encourage you to experiment with these very biblical actions. Sometimes when you're finding it difficult to worship God, simply kneeling before him or lifting your hands in surrender 
can act as a stimulus to opening up your heart. So those are the five worship languages. Maybe you can use them in your expression of worship to God as you seek to worship him in spirit and truth. I'm going to close with a personal story. I told you earlier that my upbringing and my receiving the eternal life at an early age. Though Through my growing up years, I led a fairly moral lifestyle, mainly because of my fear of God, but I had not completely surrendered to him. I was always afraid if I did, he might make me become a missionary or a pastor or something. (laughs) Well, this angst all came to a head in my freshman year of college as I was considering my faith and was wondering about my future. I had learned over the years that God was good, he was perfect in all of his ways, that he was trustworthy, had sung, great is thy faithfulness, many, many hundreds of times, I'm sure. But I was holding back from God, saying, saying to God, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will trust you completely with my life. I will obey you no matter what. At that time, the worst thing that I could imagine was if I completely surrendered to God, he would make me a missionary in Africa. And uh, nonetheless, though, one night in my dorm, I said to God and I prayed, Lord, I no longer want to fight you. From here on out, I trust you completely with my life. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, Um, even if it means becoming a missionary to Africa. And you know, a weight was lifted off me that night, and I believe that that decision was pivotal in my life to to become the kind of worshiper that our God seeks. Well, friends, it's been over 40 years since I prayed that prayer, and as you can see, God did have a different plan for me, one that I had never even considered. And it was a few years ago I did get a chance to go to Africa, and it really wasn't that bad. (laughs) So what's your story? We all have a story. What are you holding back on? Maybe you've never trusted in God alone as your Savior. You haven't discovered the truth that can set you free. Or maybe you have professed Christ as your Savior, but you're holding back on fully surrendering to him. The key is knowing and believing that you are fully known by God. And Psalm 139 makes that really clear. He knows us very well. Knowing that you are fully known by God and that you are fully loved by God, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be, but as you are. If you really believe that, then what, can, what, what our response should be? What could it be but to worship him? We respond in worship. We worship him personally. We worship him in the way that we live our lives as a lifestyle. We worship him corporately together. True worship. Spirit and truth. This is the worship that our God is seeking from us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, even when we wander. Thank you for gently calling us back. Thank you for drawing us to yourself and helping us to see again and remember that only in you can our souls be truly satisfied. I pray, God, that we would grow in our our quality time with you, that we would make that a priority in our personal worship. I pray that we would... In every act of service that we do, we would do it all for the glory of you. I pray we would continually give to you. You've been so generous with us. 
And I pray, Lord, that as we gather together here on Sunday morning and other times that we would lift up our voices to you. Lord, that, uh, that we would honor you with our lips and we would honor you with our hearts. Help us, God, to be the kind of worshiper that you are seeking. And I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.